Greetings, Sicilians. Welcome back to another edition of Declassified Discussions. I'm Declassified Dave. I'm Mr. Mike. And I'm Sick Frank Sanders. This afternoon, we're joined by the author of Your Thoughts Are Not Your Own, Volumes 1 and 2, Mind Control, Mass Manipulation, and Perception Management and Marketing, Movies and Music. As well as Now is the Only Thing That's Real, a re-examination of the Manson murders, motives, and mythos. Hushtillians, please welcome Neil Sanders. Hello. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Thank you for being here. Yes, much appreciated, sir. We reached out to you after (laughs) surprisingly finding you as a contact on Coast to Coast. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it's, that's I've that's been how on coast I, to coast. <laughs> uh, I think I think you were you had an interview with Art Bell actually. Oh yeah, I had a, a yeah, Art Bell a, and um, that was Midnight uh, in the Midnight in the Desert, I believe it yeah. was. I think I, I was either the last or the very last or the second to last person that he ever interviewed because apparently a couple of days later, someone shot through his window. It wasn't me, like <laughs> I, <laughs> you know annoyed with how the interview went and thought I'd take it out. Like, no, it wasn't. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a, an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we jump into this discussion, uh, we just want to familiarize you with our listeners. Let everybody know what you're all about, what you're working on and, and uh, what your research is in. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, originally uh, I was interested in, in mind control and I, I still am uh, interested in mind control and, by mind control, uh, there's, there's quite a broad sort of scope. Some of it would mean sort of just altering people's thoughts with something that seems innocuous, like advertising or sort of political campaigns or, or that type of thing. But it, it goes the whole way up to sort of propaganda, like, you know, getting people to go to war. And then it goes down to sort of individual mind control. Some people might have seen films like The Manchurian Candidate or even like slightly sillier films like say Zoolander or Naked Gun where they they basically they control a person's thoughts and actions either via hypnosis or drugs or, or some type of uh, weaponry or external technique and surprisingly this sort of stuff actually went on or it was definitely um, experimented on uh, not only by uh, Americans, but also by the the UK in various uh, uh, sort of geysers, and also Russia, China, uh, and to a lesser extent, certain other countries. But uh, so yeah, so about ten years ago now, actually, crikey, it's been a while. Um, I wrote uh, two books looking at the the history of, of of mind control, which are your thoughts are not your own, and um, that that's basically what they do. They 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 look at the history where it started, potential. Um, potential evidence of of people being involved in mind control, sort of you know more current uh, um, cases, uh, and just the evidence really to to see um, see what there is. And, and to be quite honest, there's a surprising amount. Uh, they weren't well initially. Uh, they didn't want anybody to find out about it. But uh, there was a chap called John D. Marks, and he found a lot of sort of official documents basically pertaining to the American program, which is called MK Ultra. And from there, basically, the, 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 the sort of information sort of spilled out and started to uh, uh, started to spread. Some of it is questionable, like uh, some of it is is absolutely one hundred percent fact, and some of it is incredibly grim, um, and and some of it is the sort of stuff that basically most people won't think about, like um, you sort of the use of television, the use of the media, the use of uh, say. Um, films, popular films and such like that to, to ingrain, or even sport actually, to ingrain a mindset. Like actually you reminded me of the Art Bell thing. Somebody phoned up during that that and said, oh they've, they've militarised the um, sports and Art Bell and this other guy had a bit of a go at him because it was about four in the morning. My, I wasn't quite clicked on. And so, but uh, but I remembered afterwards, it's like, you do know that the, the national anthem that was it. It was about um, Chappie kneeling, I think, at the, for the national anthem and how whether this was a, a protest, uh, whether this was a, a legitimate protest or not. And what I should have pointed out was that the, the reintroduction of the national anthem had been specifically by the Department of Defence and uh, the US military in order to create patriotism at those types of events. Because patriotism 
it lends itself towards um, promotion of, of war, particularly if you feel like you're being um, invaded or attacked clandestinely or, or, or still in the open. You've got to remember at the time, basically, there's a lot of war in the Middle East and uh, the, the, the sort of the idea was put about that, that all Muslims were potential terrorists and, and therefore, you know, in order to get people behind quite a simplistic idea, you, you tend to use quite quite sort of jingoistic terms and one of those and, and, and techniques or one of those things was to encourage patriotism through sport. So that's uh, that's what I'm interested in. Uh, mind control. Uh, also, we get you know, the we get the sport part. Mike and I, I think Frank as well, hardcore Boston Bruins fans, and we just oh, yeah. got destroyed recently and were shattered to pieces. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you can understand, and it's it's really weird when you said like everybody gets together with like sport in Connecticut. You have this weird dynamic. And I don't feel it in California, but you have this weird dynamic. If you're from a certain town, there's mm. like this weird prejudice. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this, that, this, this, the other thing. And I don't think we're judgy people. No. I think we just. We're incredibly judgmental. We're New Englanders. That's all we do is okay, judge so people. So we're trash. Never mind. Dude, Forget if somebody's wearing trash. a Yankees hat, they're getting hit. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Forget what I said then. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's a valid point because this is the point. There's, there's a certain instinctual drives that everybody has. That's a tribalism. I, I, it, if you take it back to um, its sort of very, very sort of simplistic terms, the reason people don't like people from the next town over is we don't know them. Like, and we, we're frightened of strangers, um, frightened in inverted commas. Because you've got that instinctual thing of like, I don't know who these people are. These people might be a threat to me. And so perfectly natural instinctual drives. And by the way, it's perfectly fine to like sport. Like I, I, I follow certain sport myself. Like, it, you know, it's great. And it's great to get caught up in that sort of, you know, the, the, the feeling of being part of, of a team and a crowd. It can be very exhilarating. Um, but what happens with certain things is that some of these things are... Um, exploited by other people so when there was a time of war and people needed to basically um, utilize that type of idea they preyed on that they preyed on people's fear of difference they preyed on the existential threat of somebody else that you've got absolutely no knowledge of and no control of coming into your life and altering it against your will and that is an incredibly powerful mind control technique and you, you see that all the time with Fox News, for example. Fox News, the entire point of almost every single Fox News article, um, story, opinion piece is to make you angry about something that's probably not going to affect your life in any way, but to make it feel like it's the most imminent threat to your very being and, and your the way that you conduct yourself. And the if it's the thin end of the wedge and there's a reason that people do that because basically if you're angry there's two things right one it's addictive to be angry it's really really addictive right you get a dopamine release and also you feel quite vital and you know vibrant and like this is why people get to fights like you know like the, that's a very extreme sort of version of that you're looking for some sort of hit to show that you're alive christ that's what fight club's about that's not what everything is about but you know what i mean it's the gist and and so with, they can prey on this they can they can utilize that and with, with fox news the second point is that when you're angry you actually you're not making very good decisions your critical thinking goes down the pan if you're angry or you're scared and you'll subconsciously look to somebody um to give you the answers who you're going to look to you're going to look to the person that gave you the information in the first place um which is Fox News. And you just so happen to basically like the, the, their solution would just so happen to fall in line with the ideology of certain corporations, uh, certain foundations, certain think tanks and certain political ideologies and movements. And by something as innocuous as entertainment on the television, th there are certain techniques that could be considered blind control that will be used to basically alter people's entire personalities yeah i feel like that's kind of something that's happened within the conspiracy realm is a lot of conspiracy theorists have moved towards that 
I don't want to say right wing, but maybe conservative. Oh, no, it is end right of the spectrum, at that end of the spectrum. Yeah. Watching the Fox News and that in itself, like you said, takes away that critical thinking yes. and makes it so that it's like, oh, well, Fox News said this. And then you go to them with some actual factual and they just turn a blind eye to it and say, well, yeah. no, that can't be it. That's just the way that the mass media is trying to, you know, or the liberal media is trying to portray it to you. And that's not really what the way that it is. And it does take away that critical thinking. And I think that's something that's definitely missing within our realm nowadays. You put the blinders on. And I think media in general does that. But yeah, definitely Fox News caters to that anger. It definitely tries to get you to see red constantly. Well, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because you're absolutely spot on. If you look at a lot of these sort of alternative media at the minute, it's pure outrage fuel all the time. And it's looking at existential threats, the World Economic Forum, uh, Agenda 31, 15 minute cities. I don't know whether that's got to America yet. Like it's uh, this concept that basically they're going to lock you in cities or zones. It's definitely here in San Diego. I think San Diego is one of those cities that's probably on that list where it's 15 yeah. minute cities. They're already implementing these crazy pedestrian areas and uh -huh. people are complaining about it. But if you drove in that area to begin with, you'd know why they're pedestrianizing it because it's, it's hell to drive through there. It's Absolutely. hell. It's hell on earth. Yeah. Yeah. What they've done is they've mashed together for about four different concepts right okay there's the concept of a 15 minute city which is the idea that inner city living currently is a bit impersonal and you don't necessarily know your neighbors so they want to install a sense of community by getting local shops and local schooling and basically having facilities where you can work eat shop have leisure time and be educated within 15 minutes of everybody which is actually a good thing. The irony is that most of the people that have been banging on about this in the most angry way recently on the internet of this week, and all at the same time, which is strange because I thought these people were individual thinkers, not like, you know, repeating, parroting propaganda. But this week, they're all about buying locally, which is basically what 15 Minutes Cities is, is about. So, like, you know, it's stupid. And then the, the, and the second thing is pedestrianisation. Certain areas, basically, as, again, people get, you know, the populations grow and uh, and more people have cars, cars getting larger. Um, they're not built or they're not they're not big enough to, to, to have the traffic. So what they're doing is they're, they're basically pedestrianizing zones and making it so that you have to drive around the city center rather than through the through the through the center of it. And nobody's restricted other than you're directed around a ring road. You, it's not you can't go to places but for some reason, they've mashed together the idea from the Hunger Games or the Running Man that basically you're trapped in zones and there's going to be people on motorcycles with chainsaws driving around, stopping you from going to your friend's house, which is 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 not a thing. But 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 this is entirely the point. All of those sorts of things are, are described, described to make you angry. Like if we look at the sort of conspiracies that we've got at the minute, you've got certain ones that have definitely aligned with political ideology which is like you know brexit QAnon, the clinton murder list pizzagate hunter biden's laptop anything that's anti-trans anything that's anti-lgbt voter fraud all of that just so happens to encourage people to vote for uh, the republicans you've got stuff that's supposed to make you outraged and scared like someone else is, is coming to control your life like vaccines and lockdowns and the wef and agenda 21 and immigration and 15 minutes Cities. And then you've got conspiracy theories that just so happen to favor the oil industry, like climate change being a hoax and the green agenda. And they want you to tax the air you breathe and make you eat bugs. And then you've got some that just so happen to fall in line with the far right, like the Great Replacement. They want to take out guns. They want to tax us, overreach of government, free speech is being threatened, etc. And there's two things with all of these conspiracy theories that, that, that basically run through them like a fucking stick of rock. One, um, they're all designed to make you angry and feel powerless, right? And the second thing that connects all of those things, the oil industry, the conspiracy industry, that political uh, ideology, um, it's the John Birch Society. And this is exactly why all of these conspiracies resonate um, with, uh, sorry, why all these people who are into conspiracies at the moment are resonating with Tucker Carlson and um, uh, Steve Bannon and Breitbart and that Roger Ailes Fox News idea of 
outrage, outrage, get people angry. Why? Because it's all coming from the same place. Like, the, it essentially comes from the Heritage Foundation, the, the John Birch Society and, uh, and the CNP. Like, I'll give you a good example. Right? Okay, I'm sure, like, uh, you, you've done stuff about COVID and the lockdown and stuff like that. Now, different people have got different opinions, like, uh, as to... Uh, there's several arguments. Were they necessary? Were they implemented well? And those are two completely different arguments. But that, but we're going to skip over all of that. Do you know where the um, anti-lockdown movement came from in America? Who started the anti-lockdown movement? I could not pinpoint yeah, that. No, we, we actually haven't covered COVID yet. All oh, right. Okay. No worries. Um, we've, been, we've been treading lightly. Mm -hmm. to see what happens with it. And now that we're late May now, uh, it's over. It's fair game now. So I think we've kind of tiptoed through the tulips a little bit. Right. The people that started the anti-lockdown movement in America was the um, right-wing um, think tank connected to the oil industry, the Heritage Foundation. Like 100%, they started and financed all the first anti-lockdown uh, demonstrations. Why? Why would the Heritage Foundation do anything to help workers of America? The Heritage Foundation has done more to take away rights from American workers than any other corporation in the history of the planet. They, they've reduced medical cover for workers. They've reduced insurance for workers. They've increased working time, reduced holidays. They, they seek to reduce uh, worker safety, worker uh, legal action. They're, they entirely exist to stamp down on the little man, okay? And they're, they're intimately connected with the oil refinery industry. Similarly in the UK, do you know who started the, the lockdown, uh, the anti-lockdown stuff in the UK? It wasn't a conspiracy theorist. It was, a, it was Economic Insight. Economic Insight is a think tank connected with the UK HM Treasury. The Treasury, the government, you know, like the Federal Reserve, that's our equivalent. Why on earth would they want to be anti-lockdown? And the other people that basically promoted anti-COVID stuff in the UK was a, a company called Sir Group Communications. They promoted Carol Sikora and uh, Sunitra Gupta and uh, Carl Hennigan and um, various other uh, doctors who came out basically saying that COVID wasn't a big deal, herd immunity was effective uh, and achievable, and we didn't need to stop going to work. We just didn't need to stop going to work. And also, again, you'll see this, a pattern. In America, the people that were anti-lockdown um, uh, and downplaying of COVID were right-wing figures, right-wing figures that were saying basically, okay, it was all, it was all a plot to get you, you, you vaccinated. You've got Dave Rubin and Crowder and uh, to a lesser degree, Ben Shapiro and Milo Yiannopoulos and Steve Bannon and Breitbart and all that nexus. And in the UK, we, and Fox News to a degree. And also in the UK, we had the Sky News Australia, but then in the UK, we, we had like the Telegraph and Spectator and uh, lockdown skeptics uh, and, and um, Various mainstream newspapers, the Times, the Telegraph, the Express, the Daily Mail, pouring scorn on the, the measures that were taken to keep people safe from COVID. Why? Why? I'll tell you for why. Because all of those people, all of those people, the common thread is the oil refinery business. They all make huge amounts of money from the oil refinery. This is not a secret that the American right wing is financed by the oil industry. It is also not a secret that the UK right wing is financed by the oil industry. What happened in, in uh, I think it was February of 2020, that had never happened ever in the history of the world. Oil went into negative pricing, which meant that for a few days, Oil companies have to pay people to take oil off their hand, hands. Why? Because no one was going to work. They were going to stay at home. They weren't going to be using the buses and the, 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 the planes. Uh, and that struck fear into the donors of the, the Tory party in the UK and the GOP Republicans in America. And that's why, bizarrely, all of the anti-COVID stuff actually came from government essentially or offshoots of government i mean it was picked up by the conspiracy theories because basically this is this is the clever thing it's the same thing exactly what you were purporting to oh 
This is this is the thin end of the wedge. This is something that's going to come in and could control your life. And everybody fell for it, hook, line and sinker, because they said the right things to people. So, you know, this is people. Why are we talking about this? Because this is mind control. This is mind control. And the irony at the minute is through all these conspiracy theories that are started blatantly by right wing think tanks. The conspiracy crowd, even prominent members of the conspiracy th crowd, have, have, have just fallen into this trap of just spreading anger and being angry and promoting echo chambers and, and contrarianism to the point where people were saying, oh, the government says that there's a, a disease out there that might be killing people. Well, some bloke on the Internet says that viruses themselves don't exist. I'm willing to entertain that. Then you're a moron. Then you're a moron. And the reason that you've done that is because you're terrified of reality. Okay. And, and this is just one thing that you don't have to deal with. But again, it's not your fault. There's been a campaign against conspiracy theorists. Um, it's called mimetic warfare. It's the use of, of social media and, um, again, getting stories in before uh, getting into the narrative and appealing to what people like and that's why all of these conspiracy theories are, are hitting that's why gb news and fox news are resonating with certain conspiracy crowds at the minute because basically what they've done is they've done their homework they've gone what is it that you don't like what is it that you don't like we're going to tell you that we're against what you don't like it won't be the truth but this is the point like with QAnon, like that's a fairly sort of broad thing what don't you like I don't like government corruption and paedophiles eating children underneath the White House. Gotcha. Right. Well, then we've got a conspiracy theory that's all for you. It's going to make you absolutely furious. It's going to make you actually, you know, people that aren't even interested in, in voting, people that are basically into wrestling and stuff like that. All of a sudden, they're going to find a savior in Donald Trump. Why are they going to do this? Because of mind control. A great, a great example of the mind control that was used with Donald Trump was, what were the slogans that got Donald Trump elected? Lock her up, build the wall. The idea of being attacked by the, by the deep state. Those were the slogans that essentially drove him to, to the White House. Um, and the idea that Hillary Clinton was, was evil and like a cannibal and blah, 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 blah. All of those slogans that were used by Donald Trump in 2014 were designed by a company called Cambridge Analytica, okay, which is a mind control program. And they were actually um, uh, first utilized in 2014, so two years before Donald Trump was even the candidate. And they were actually um, uh, made for Ted Cruz, because uh, Ted Cruz was their guy, he's a member of the Heritage Foundation. And basically, they, they were going to go with Ted Cruz as the candidate until. Donald Trump turned up and what had it's bizarre what actually happened. What happened was the Clinton campaign did two things that were desperately, desperately illegal during that um, um, uh, presidential run. One, they conspired to get Bernie Sanders to not be the candidate. Bernie Sanders was the more popular candidate and he would have won. And um, certain uh, donors to the Democratic Party didn't want that. And so they cheated and got Hillary Clinton to be the candidate. And the second thing that they did was that they uh, they thought that Donald Trump was really easy to beat. They thought, there's no way we can't beat this guy. He's a fucking car salesman. He's a huckster. Everyone can see that. He sells Trump's stakes that, that shit went under. <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's totally full of shit. Like, he's, he's completely corrupt. He's a complete liar. You can't trust a word that he says, but for some reason, so they thought, okay, fair enough, people aren't going to like him. But for whatever reason, people sort of saw him. Well, I'll tell you for why people liked him. But anyway, um, in a second, like what happened was they advertised for Donald Trump in Republican newspapers. They put money illegally advertising and promoting Donald Trump, thinking that if he was the candidate, they could easily beat him. But what they didn't realize is that Donald Trump had two things behind him. One, he had Cambridge Analytica. And Cambridge Analytica, which is the tool that basically, like, it manipulates internet um, uh, chatter. It, it finds and creates echo chambers. It basically creates fake people to chat with you online and send you stories that will basically, you know, go up your flagpole that you're going to resonate with. And these were stories, I see if any of these are familiar, stories like Sweden becoming the rape capital of the world, stories about um, France falling to Sharia law, 
Um, these are all stories that were put out in Breitbart and various um, articles like that, um, various publications like that. Hillary Clinton having a stroke, Hillary Clinton having Kuru disease from being uh, a cannibal, uh, the idea that the Pope backed Donald Trump, the idea that uh, Hillary Clinton had been denounced by WikiLeaks as personally having financed ISIS. All of these were stories that basically came out in this, uh, various different publications, including Breitbart. They were created by Cambridge Analytica. And the connection there is Robert Mercer. Robert Mercer is an incredibly wealthy, far-right billionaire who is protege Steve Bannon. The Mercers, they own Parler. Um, and they own various other uh, things, but they, they basically own Cambridge Analytica. They bought it from, it used to be a company called SCL. Um, and in the UK, it's got a, a list X clearance. What a list X clearance is, means that basically it's a weapon of MI6, which means that it has to, um, uh, sorry, um, it's on it. Sorry, that, that's not correct. A list X clearance means that it, it has um, access to top secret data. Anything in government files from secret and above, Cambridge Analytica and SCL have access to, which means that it's implicitly connected with the uh, UK intelligence agencies. And the second thing that tells you this is the fact that it's on uh, an export license, which means that basically if it's to be used in a foreign country such as America, then it would have to be checked over by the UK government and somebody has to tick off and say that, that that's okay. Now, here's the bombshell with that. What that means is that basically because it was used in two prominent campaigns to get the UK out of the EU and to get Donald Trump into the, the White House, even though those were both presented as completely anti-establishment um, anti-establishment campaigns motivated by sticking it to the man, the fact that Cambridge Analytica was used means that basically it had the approval of MI6, certain board members of the CIA, the Heritage Foundation, which was essentially founded by the CIA, and the UK government. So all of those people wanted Donald Trump to be the president. And again, conspiracy crowd just fell for it. You know why? Because they used the same tactics. Make you angry. Make you feel like you're being threatened. Make you feel like there's something that's hovering over your head that, that you can't do anything about um, unless we act now and make everyone aware of it. And the second thing that, that Donald Trump had that was really played to his favour that a lot of people don't know about is that he had Vince McMahon as as part of his campaign, two two really prominent figures. One, CT. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm I'm not a huge fan of wrestling, but my friend who found this out, he is a huge fan of wrestling, and he says, the, obviously they're not physically similar to similar, but the, the personality, the anti-establishment poking the bear type figure, he swears blind to me that Donald Trump is basically copying Stone Cold Steve Austin. Whether this is true or not, I don't know. But other people who I've mentioned this to have gone, I can see that. Yeah, like, okay, fair enough. And Alex Jones as well. Alex Jones was an Infowars, famously impartial. Like, they were used as part of the campaign to uh, promote Trump. They, they were actually part of his fires. Coincidentally, I don't know whether this has got, like he's connected. But about that time, Alex Jones was going through a massively expensive divorce. And bizarrely, InfoWars production values went through the roof. <sighs> Don't know if that's connected to being, you know, backed by government agencies or whatever. You know, crazy if true, and it's true. So, yeah, so the, these, these are the things. This is, this is why mind control is, is still relevant. And this is why you're exactly right. There's a lot of that in the conspiracy world at the minute. And the irony, the absolute irony, is that basically all these people have actually been manipulated into being sort of like the willing pawns of essentially what you could call the Illuminati or the elites of society or the deep state, the hidden hand, the think tanks, the movers and shakers behind the scenes that we don't get to see. The very thing that the conspiracy crowd is supposed to be fighting against for the last at least six years, they've basically been doing their bidding, ironically. Uh, and the reason for this is is mind control. They basically they, they saw a, a group, a demographic that they'd figured out, that they knew if we say this, if we say... Peter Fillion, George Soros, the Rothschilds, 
we're going to get a huge amount of people who are on board. Like, okay, and we know what makes them angry and we know what drives them and we know what motivates them and we can utilize them. There's a meme that goes around. Wait until conspiracy theorists hear about the conspiracy where they're being employed to spread conspiracy theories. And to a large degree, that's true. That doesn't mean that there's no conspiracies. Like, I mean, for Christ's sake, this is a conspiracy. Like, and it's an actual provable conspiracy. I can show you the receipts for it if you want, like literally. But it means that basically like the utilization of social media and the, the fact that basically conspiracy is, has become a bit more mainstream and the, the sort of the well-studied techniques that have been used to manipulate people uh, since the dawn of time have all basically come together in this moment now. Uh, and this is why we've got the mess that we do on Twitter, essentially. <laughs> Looking at the whole picture of mind control, most of what we've talked about so far here today has been societal mind control, uh, mind controlling the masses, whether it be for political or moral or whatever it may be. But there's also that militaristic end of mind control, correct? Like for just an example, the experiments that took place at the Edgewood facility in Maryland for close to like 30 years, that was all United States Army. So when it comes to the origins of mind control, in your opinion, is it like a chicken or the egg sort of scenario? Was it intentionally being used for just militaristic purposes in the beginning or all along for society? Both. Absolutely both. Right. Okay. I'll give you like two examples. Um, right. One very old concept, the idea of the beasts outside the walls of the city or the, you know, the assassins or the rogues or the people on the, the thieves and robbers. You're far safe if you stay inside the city. This is a concept, right, or stay close to the fire. If you stay close to my fire, you're going to have to do what I tell you, I'm afraid, because I'm the boss. So this concept of controlling what people do is as old as civilization itself. There was a thing that, that happened in ancient Rome, right, where basically they'd, like, they'd get knowledge of the outside world through players that came along and sang songs and did plays and basically told people about mysterious firelands and stuff like that. Now, this was all a bit sort of almost like the King James Bible in a sense. It was edited to make sure that it was in line with those in power, essentially, to make sure that there was nothing in there that, that was would go outside of our realm, basically, and, and sort of like get people to go against the masses. So that, that concept has been there since... Yeah, I say time immemorial. These ideas of like very early mind control with stuff like have you ever heard like the of the Hashashin, um, like uh, the Middle Eastern sort of warriors that were essentially eat huge amounts of incredibly potent hash uh, to in order to get them into a state where they were like maniacs in battle. Personally, I don't think that would work. Like I think it'd probably chill you out. But apparently, this is a thing. Uh, and then you had sort of berserkers and stuff like that, eating sort of magic mushrooms. And so the, these ideas of, of stuff like Dutch courage, for crying out loud, the idea of having a drink and whatnot, these are all ways of sort of like getting people into mind frames. But when you come to sort of the militaristic side of it, now the one that most people would go, they'd say 1951 uh, Operation Bluebird, which is an American operation that basically, it, it started April 20th in 1951, and it was to look at the, the possibility of mind controlling somebody to do something that would be against their will so essentially to control somebody to commit an act like murder or suicide uh, without without their knowledge essentially or, or with no means for them to stop it but there'd actually been earlier experiments like there were experiments in Dachau that were using mescaline and these were used it was for uh, interrogation purposes and, you know, the use of torture and interrogation, again, which could be considered a form of mind control, is not new. You, you know, you, you, the Spanish Inquisition, nobody expected that, did they? So th th there's that aspect of it. But in, in, in 1947 in America, Bethesda, Maryland, they were doing mescaline experiments as a part of Operation Chatter, which was with a guy called Dr. Charles Savage. These were potentially based on sort of anecdotal knowledge of Dachau experiments. But even prior to that, you had in Egypt in 1943, the UK military, they drugged a man called Eli Hagar. And this actually came up in Parliament. Uh, a man called Alexander Kennedy was uh, sort of brought up about this in, in, in British Parliament, basically. 
certain methodologies and drugs were used in order to try and elicit a confession out of this captured Egyptian soldier. Uh, it didn't work. He actually sort of developed pneumonia and got really, really ill. There's also talk as well in the, in the Second World War of what's called hypnoprogramming by a, a gentleman called George Easterbrooks. And there's various things, essentially using hypnosis in order to make someone do something. And there's various ways that he apparently did this. There's the very famous one is called Joker A and Joker B, where essentially he just split somebody's personality inside their mind and called one Joker A and one Joker B and was able to... What happened was he got this person to go and get himself captured by the enemy. And it was just like a double bluff, basically, so that he could retain knowledge... He became basically like he, he went over to the enemy as Joker B um, and then defected again from the enemy when he switched back to Joker A, but was able to get back and under hypnosis, tell them their plans or whatever. So he was almost like the sort of perfect mole in as much as he didn't know he was a mole because the personality that was created was actively wanting to defect to the enemy. And then he had certain things where basically you'd give somebody a, a code word and they'd go into trance, you'd give them like a huge amount of information and they'd go abroad or go down the road or whatever to see another person. That person would, would relay that code word and they, they'd give you all that information. But without the code, they didn't even know the information was in their head. So you're using these as like, they were called hypno-couriers, essentially. And one of the things that George Esterbrook said was that there's a commonly misheld belief that in hypnotism, you will never do anything that, that you wouldn't normally do. You can't be coerced into something that is, is detrimental to your health or um, say you can't be in, invoked to do murder or commit suicide. And George Esterbrook said, and I quote, this is poppycock, I have seen and done it. That's what we have to, to take from that. Whether it's true uh, is, is tricky to know. There's a lot of declassified documents pertaining to like hypnosis that, that seemed to show experimentation where people were stabbed, shot, induced to put their hands into vats of acid, uh, induced to pick up poisonous snakes, or even jump out of windows and such like that. I just had a real quick question when it comes to that. In essentially creating these mentoring candidates or these, uh, these couriers, now how is that psychological like personality split being made? Is that through torture? Is that through drugs? Or just purely like mentally that's what i was just about to say is that, is that basically this cannot be done by your common or garden hypnotherapist or, or stage hypnotist or anything like that there's obviously something missing in the methodology i've read it and there's no technique explained they don't tell you how to induce this they don't explain it in any way so there's obviously something missing i would assume trauma i don't know by any stretch of the imagination but there's various other bits of information these two girls that were used for sex slaves whose name always escapes me so claudia mullin and um, christine di nicola and they got a presidential apology from bill clinton in the 90s because when they were children they were involved in certain mind controlled experiments apparently and some of it involved them being trained to be assassins and some of it involved them being trained to be prostitutes even though they were only nine at the time so, and the idea behind this was actually rather similar to the concept that was proposed in regards to Jeffrey Epstein, that they were supposed to have sexual liaisons with, with heads of industry, uh, politicians, that type of thing, and they would be used as a honey trap, it would be recorded doing this, and then that could be utilised for blackmail. And obviously that was the suggestion that, that was going on with Jeffrey Epstein because his, his Palm Beach apartment and various other residences that he had, the one in New York, for example, had hidden cameras and hidden recording equipment all, all over the place, basically. So, yeah, there, there is that element of trauma uh, within the hypnosis. There is actually, there's three ways that you could do it without trauma, but it would be incredibly difficult and it would take an incredibly sadistic personality what you could do is you could convince somebody to shoot somebody by changing this by changing the scenario okay and this is apparently what happened with um sirhan sirhan he to this day thinks that he was 
shooting at a target. That's his story anyway. I, I didn't think I was shooting at Robert Kennedy. I thought I was shooting at target. Turns out it probably wasn't Sirhan Sirhan that actually killed Robert Kennedy because there were more bullets found at the scene than fitted his gun. Um, it, it was probably um, the the guard whose tie was found in Kay's hand, whose name, uh, Edgar Caesar, I believe his name was. I can't remember. Anyway, the point being that there's an element of trauma. But so what you could do is you could you could say to somebody, that's not a real gun, it's a water pistol. And you could convince them that they were just shooting a water pistol. And the second way would be you could change the context. So like, for example, murder is permissible in war. So you could convince the person that, see that person, they've got a bomb or they've got your family or something like that. Something where the context would justify you killing them. So that would be the second way. And then the third way, which is the most devious, is that you install such a sense of rapport and trust into your uh, client that you basically, there's no way, they, they don't believe that you'd do anything bad to them. So you'd go, John, go and run through that, that 20th story window, smash through it, I want, I want to see if you can fly. And you'd go, Ah, I mean, logic dictates that I'm going to die. But Neil, I trust him so much, I know that something will happen. So you just scream off and go straight through the window. And that, so by those three methods, you could, in theory, develop a certain amount of control over a person. Now, actually, that's not dissimilar from the concept of how pimps or cult leaders work by, you know, either instilling so much trust or altering the context or altering the action, essentially. You know, you're not sleeping with lots and lots of people. You're making money. You're empowering yourself, say, something like that. You know, switch it up or whatever. And it, because this is the thing, again, people are malleable. People want an easy life, essentially. They want to be told the answers and they don't like not knowing answers. This is why people are fascinated with conspiracy theories. And I want to reiterate, you know, like, because we're doing, I'm doing a podcast at the minute because some dare call it conspiracy. And a lot of people think it's like a debunking thing. Um, it's not. We're just finding that a lot of the conspiracies aren't actually true. Well, what we do in the, in the show is we basically, we break down like a, an entire properly deep dive and then we find the sources uh, and we go into it and stuff like that. So because of this, people tend to think that, oh, you're telling us that conspiracies don't exist anymore. I thought that was your thing, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, absolutely not. I just think that these are, it's, it's ironic actually, because I don't believe that there's a grand conspiracy like the Illuminati, but I do think that there's an overarching conspiracy where essentially at the moment the conspiracy crowd have been co-opted by certain right-wing figures and media organisations and, and manipulated, um, basically because people, people aren't as cautious with the internet as they are with the television. You ask anybody in the conspiracy crowd, like alternative media, what their opinion is of the news. Well, actually, they might like Fox News nowadays, but but you know they they have the, the methodology to decode it and go, oh, that's propaganda. I don't believe that's spun from a perspective. And for whatever reason, when people get onto the internet, and I think it's I don't think it's I don't think this is, please don't think this is critical of people. This is because of the medium and the way that the medium works. People let the guard down because they think they're in a conversation with mates in a pub. Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. And you don't realise that the same entities that are behind the newspapers and the TV and the entertainment in order to manipulate your way of thinking, they're on the internet as well. They're the source of material, essentially. They're the source of the stories, which then get sort of filtered down through the sort of top level of, of the conspiracy world. And then it becomes a trope. And it becomes a, to the point where people repeat it, bait them, without checking and again that's a form of mind control and one of the things that i found out relatively recently you know the concept of like uh, all this stuff about the rothschilds and stuff like that all the, the things that they say about financing both wars and waterloo and buying the bank of england and all of this it's like none of it's true absolutely none of it's true like all of that came from a nazi film a genuine, not a pejorative, the actual <laughs> Nazi party. A film called Der Rothschild, which was basically there to demonise Jews and Jewish bankers. And far from financing both sides of the war, Hitler stole all the Rothschild's money and they were basically, like, you know, on their arse and a lot of them were, were killed. But that is one of the underpinning um, sort of 
ideas behind certain conspiracy theories, the idea of a, a world Jewish communist takeover, the concept of the New World Order and the 13 Illuminati families, like all of that is underpinned by this idea that the Rothschild, uh, Rothschild family made a huge amount of money at the Battle of Waterloo and became the controlling interest in banking worldwide and financed both sides of every war since. And neither of those things are true. Did they make money at Waterloo? Yes. Yes, they did. But loads of other bankers made money. In fact, a lot of bankers made far more money than them. It's another thing, George Soros, that's another one that people talk about and stuff like that. The, ironically, you've got Elon Musk on, on Twitter saying, oh, we need to be suspicious of the power of George Soros. Elon Musk has got 10 times the wealth of George Soros and, and probably more influence. And he's telling us to be wary of this person. And again, a lot of the tropes about George Soros simply aren't true. Like he's either a communist or a Nazi, depending on who you speak to. And it's like a billionaire communist Nazi. That's a new one. That there seems to be at odds with itself that that idea on a number of levels basically so but but this is the point like there are a lot of um a lot of tropes there's a lot of things that become truisms and i think everybody really needs to be aware of this idea that people they're making you angry like everybody spotted it when it was fox news 10 years ago everybody was like we don't buy this stuff about muslims there's some Muslims on my street and they're lovely people. We don't think they're invading us, whatever. And, and everybody saw through that propaganda. This is just designed to make normies angry, okay? And now everything is designed to make you angry. 15-minute cities, the, the World Economic Forum, they're going to make you eat bugs. All of this, everything. They're going to force your kids to be gay and dress up as women. They're going to force it. That's, that's what they're going to do. They're, like, there's no escaping it. And it's all designed just to make you furious. And for whatever reason, everyone's falling for it at the moment. And I'm not quite sure why. There's a lot of people that are absolutely falling for it. I think the three of us are very well-rounded thinking when we always question something might be a psyop that we see, yeah. um, whether whatever it may be. George Soros, he and Elon Musk could be equally powerful. George Soros yeah. owns a massive portion of Amazon and yeah. all, all of that other stuff. So, and Amazon is a, I mean, that's, it's disgusting how, yeah. how involved that is in people's everyday lives and on multifacets. Yeah, totally. I'm just, I'm not naive to the fact, I don't think that George Soros is, is, is a hundred percent wonderful bloke. Okay. He's obviously a very ruthless man. Otherwise he wouldn't be in the position that he is, but he's not the cartoon Jewish villain that people make him out to be. And a lot of the stories about him are just not true, basically. I don't think he's a cartoon. I think he's a billionaire who makes a lot of money. But speaking of another billionaire that we just talked about a little while ago, before we start wrapping and, and winding down, I want to ask you, do you think it's also said that the media itself and anything that's creating influence, whether it's the CIA, the media, whoever it may be, are playing the other spectrum of people by putting... Donald Trump into a place of setting these conspiracies to make sides angry. Like you said, it's creating division and people are getting angry. I mean, down here in Southern California, people wouldn't think, but San Diego County is a very conservative County compared to Los Angeles County where they're like, no, it's okay. And everybody else here is like, build the wall. It's I'm not speaking for every San Diego, but it's a very different, political environment everything has become political so i think that's created this rift with people because my understanding of you know i'm pushing 40 so it's the stuff that i've seen 10 years ago i didn't give a fuck about politics and now everything is politicized and mm -hmm. we got this donald trump thing so uh, you made the point of just creating psyops and conspiracies and and making both sides angry and it seems very successful it's money too like basically once you feed into this outrage okay on whatever side of this political spectrum okay all of a sudden you've got people that are either going to go rubbish and go to the opposition or that really really resonates with me and go to you I'll give you an example right okay cnn spent all their time talking about donald trump right? okay and absolutely you're correct they drove that division okay but you know why because it made them money it, they weren't 
necessarily interested in the division. Some people are because, again, same thing, same thing with the Fox News aspect of it. Right. OK, it makes you angry. That's all that Donald Trump was there to do for CNN viewers. Like when, when Donald Trump, it was interesting, when Donald Trump lost the election, CNN's ratings plummeted because they needed Donald Trump because that's their outrage mill. Okay, and as, as you quite rightly say, it does create this, this outrage on both sides. But I, this is the point. It drives two things. One, it basically makes you money because basically you've tapped into something where somebody's right. Okay, that's it. And this is another thing that's happening with the conspiracy crowd because you have got certain... Like, for example, the IEA, which is a think tank in the UK, has been approaching various sort of UK conspiracy members and giving them money and telling them to be anti-climate change and pro-oil and stuff like that. Now, the IEA just happens to be connected to the oil industry, but basically they're financing people like Piers Corbyn and or they've given him money in the past and Lawrence Fox. And again, it just feeds into these nodes. This the Tufton Street lot and John Mappen, the Scientologist who runs Turning Point UK. Turning Point UK is Coke Industries propaganda. And he finances a huge swathe of the conspiracy crowd in the UK. And again, they've not done that next step to go, oh, this is Coke Industries. This is where it is. This is why we're being told to say these things. But but yeah, it does two things. One, it makes you money, it creates you the crowd. And once you've got that crowd, it's very difficult to, to take a step back. You get caught up in it. Do you know what I mean? And that starts to become your sort of, your personality. You become more extreme. You get more pushback from everyone else. So you push back harder. And you see people like this might start out relatively timid or polite or pleasant. And they turn into that. I'm screaming at you, you know, your feelings don't matter, the facts, etc. Come on, come at me, bro, debate me, all of this crap. And the second reason is because the fallout from that is you get community. Like, okay, this is how, and I'm not saying that it is a cult. I'm saying that this is how cults work. What do cults offer you, right, okay? They offer you two things, or three things, really. They tell you exactly how the world is, what's up, what's down, when we've got to jump in the volcano, how many people are coming out of this volcano to save us, etc., etc., etc. What your position is in that world. I'm number six, so that means I'm better than number five, but I'm not as good as number seven. Right? And it surrounds you with like-minded people who all share a sense of value and community, which gives you psychological bolstering. That can be applied to anything. That can be applied to... And it's not necessarily bad, but that can be applied to sports teams. It's definitely utilised in all advertising. It's there in communities connected to, say, music or hobbies or anything like that, gaming, that type of thing. This is what these things offer you. And people basically have, have spotted that. And again, the same whether it's used in advertising to make you feel part of a group and to make you feel part of it. It's utilised to, to get you into this this idea or this ideology. And the other thing about it is, again, it's horrible to leave. That's why people don't leave courts, because they've propped you up psychologically. And in the same way, ideas prop people up ideologically. And it's very difficult for, you know, Christ, life is difficult, right? Life is difficult and it's hard and it's often not fair. And then you add all this confusion about not knowing what the truth is and stuff like that. People want answers. And, you know, that's admirable because some people go out there and do their own research. The problem is that sometimes nefarious sods tend to hijack that stream and get in and manipulate you. I've got one last question for you before we wrap up. And that is when it comes to the mainstream media, specifically in America, I don't know if this is happening worldwide, but this anger and division that we're seeing when it comes to the powers that be, why are they trying to create this sense of anger and division? What is that doing for them when the population is upset and divided? It depends where it comes from. Okay. Now, some of it comes from abroad and I hate to sound like, you know, it was the Russians, right? But sometimes it's the Russians. For example, and this is a bit of a silly example, but you ever seen the meme of the um, the dinosaur uh, doing the, huh, that, that one, the Velociraptor? That was created by Russia to destabilise America. Now, that's a bit silly, but, but the idea is that basically 
Certain foreign governments will spread disinformation. And it, what it does is it creates societal unrest. It creates a distrust of the government. That's why, and I'm not saying that this is Russian propaganda, but there are certain Russian bot farms that are promoting anti-vax stuff and downplaying of COVID stuff. Why? Because it's there to sow distrust of the government. That's it. If you don't trust the government with medicine and like keeping you, you healthy and safe during a pandemic, and to be fair, there's lots of good reasons not to trust the government, but basically then you'll be less inclined to trust them with, with all sorts of other things. And so in some cases, it's just there to cause a general, almost like, ironically, like the Yuri Bezmenov concept of basically, you know, disrupting and causing people to be disappointed and disaffected with the systems that they live in so that they essentially want them to fail. And then the second reason, which is tends to be more domestic, is that basically when people are angry, they don't make good decisions. And because a lot of this outrage is manufactured or, or exaggerated to the point, the only place that you're going to get the full knowledge of it is from the person that's told it to you. So, you know, homosexual drag artists are coming across the border to basically up your mortgage. Really? Well, I haven't seen anything on the on the on any other news channels. That's because they don't want to tell you. I'll tell you about it. Oh God! Well, if you tell me about it, what do we do about this? And then you've got them basically because do you see what I mean? And so, in some ways, the more outrageous and the more silly and the more obvious outrage culture, the more effective it is. Because if you cast in a net. It's better to be, you, there's two ways you can do it. You can be plausible and broad, or you can be narrow, but rabidly believing it. And this is how, say, Conman, like Andrew Tate or people like that work. They say something ridiculous, like, I can make your penis grow into 10 foot long. And most people go, no, you can't. But some people go, all right, fine, I'd like to know about that. And those people are going to be devoted to you forever because they've fallen at the first hurdle before you've even, like... Uh, all all that they've done is gone, God, I want to be you. Or there's something about you that, that appeals to me or resonates with me. You've not even started the mind control then. Okay. And you've already got some people who, it's like a filter, basically. If you'll believe me about this, you'll believe me about anything, essentially. And so that that is utilised, again, by, by the media. And it all ties down into this concept as well. That why the media, like in the UK and America, definitely using conspiratorial tropes, like either in the headlines or the stories or in the way that they're presenting things, you know, mysteries, is it this, Hunter Biden's laptop, blah, blah, blah. The fundamental reason that they're doing that is because conspiracies appeal to people because conspiracies are fun. They're fun. They're really fun. Like, they're interesting, they're mysterious, they make you feel clever. You sometimes get to work things out and use your brain in ways that you didn't have. You're unpicking the fabric of society, you're looking at corruption, you're finding that hidden dirt behind the curtain and stuff like that. It's fascinating, okay? And it's really fun. And often, they're real. And, and like, they're... Calling conspiracies is often a detriment because although there's conspiracy in there, it's more a crime or espionage or a manipulation. And that's why people like them. All right. Yeah. Sorry, did Neil I just Sanders. like a machine gun there? <laughs> <laughs> no worries. We live for it. I don't think we've really actually had a conversation where we've gone into the political spectrum of Ooh. mind control. And like I said before, we've tiptoed through the tulips and treaded lightly through the Donald Trump, the COVID talk. So yeah. now that that's passed, because he's clearly not winning. And if he does, you guys, <laughs> you guys can just fucking laugh at us because it's literally season two of The Apprentice after that point. Well, yeah, obvious. I think. <laughs> You know, when Ty Cobb came out and basically says, I think he's going to prison, I would, I'd listen to him. Like, I think he's in, I think he's a lot of trouble, to be quite honest. And, you know, people have their opinions about whether this is a setup or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I think hubris, to be quite honest. I think he's, uh, I think he's done himself. But we shall see. All right, Neil. Thank you very much for coming on. Before we go, just let everybody know where they can find your work, promote yourself. 
Oh, thank you very much. Uh, well, the main thing I'm doing at the minute is um, a podcast which we'd love to have you guys on, actually. We yeah. could someday call it Conspiracy. And we basically we do deep dives into different conspiracies, uh, try and find the, the actual source of it. So the first part of it is just going over the conspiracy, every aspect of it. We're not judging it. We're just telling you who said it, where it came from, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we're looking at the evidence. And then in the second half, we go over the evidence and we see if it's if it holds water or not, basically. Uh, but we'd love to get you guys on. That'd be absolutely uh, be brilliant, actually. Um, so there, that's on uh, YouTube, Spotify, all the major things where you find those podcast larks. And and then I've got my website, which is neilsandersmindcontrol.com. There's some videos and interviews and a blog about COVID and Cambridge Analytica and stuff on there that people can read. And like, oh, it's a podcast as well, so people can listen to it if you don't like reading. And um, and yeah, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. So if anybody wants to uh, follow us or follow Someday I Call It Conspiracy on Twitter, that'd be brilliant. Thank you very much. Awesome. Okay, Hushlings. As always, we will link all of Neil's stuff in our show notes so you can find him at your leisure. Thanks again for stopping by for another Declassified Discussions. I'm Mystery Mike. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Sick Frank Sanders. <laughs>